If you grew up fearing that you were in danger from your own family, you may have developed a strong sense that you were responsible to make everyone safe and happy. And you'll see children do this sometimes, completely abandon their own needs because they're so worried that their mom or dad will not be okay. Your parent not being okay is an existential threat when you're a kid. It's hard to imagine that you could survive that, but if something doesn't happen to help you take back your identity, your self-preservation, self you run the risk of giving away your whole life to this imagined need you think other people have, that if you don't drop everything for them, they're not gonna be okay. My letter today is from a woman I'll call Maya, and she writes, Hi Anna, I wanted to write in and maybe get some clarity about the intense regret and guilt I feel all the time. It's like a ton of weight that I always carry around with me and I'm tired. I was born in another country and the first 10 years of my life were happy. My parents were loving, although my father worked most of the time and we lived a very comfortable, normal life. My dad was very handsome and charming and my mom was a bit shy, too trusting and Everyone who met her said she was the sweetest person they knew. When I was 11, my parents suddenly told my brother and me that we were moving to the United States, which we did almost overnight. And just like that, we were removed from our comfy life of luxury and brought to a new country where we didn't know anyone and didn't even speak the language. We ended up in a small shabby rental where we slept on plastic fold out lounge chairs because my parents could not afford furniture. School was torture, as kids can be very mean when you sound and dress differently. I was made fun of and bullied, not just by other kids, but some of the teachers as well. You know, I have got this fairy pencil. I'm so absorbed in this. I forgot to say, I've got the pencil and I'm circling things I want to come back to on a second reading. But let's see what is going on in Maya's story here and see if I can help. This is a longer letter, hang in there. There's a lot here, it's pretty interesting. I, I went from being an outgoing, intro, extroverted, happy child to the point where I stopped speaking outside the house. Even my handwriting became incredibly tiny. So small, in fact, that the teachers began to threaten to fail me because they couldn't read my work. <laughs> my father was a good person and I know he loved us, but he had been brought up by an abusive mother, so he had his own problems. You kind of know where that's going, right? I'm not excusing what he did, but he had a very difficult time dealing with the guilt of destroying our lives and dealing with our financial situation was more than he could handle. He would often lose his temper. And as they began to fight more, he began to hit my mom. At the point when I was 12 years old, my brother who was 10 dealt with this by leaving the house. I was too afraid to leave my mother alone and would get in between them to stop her getting hurt. My father never touched me, but there were a couple times when I couldn't stop him and I had to call the police for help because I didn't know what else to do. Wow, that's pretty serious. I was so afraid of what might happen if I wasn't home when the fighting started that other than school, I began to avoid going out, whether to my dance classes or to my friend's house. I also avoided going to sleep as much as possible so that I could stay up and listen for the sounds of trouble. My mom talked to me like a friend. There's always that, isn't there? Yep. So I knew a lot of details that I probably shouldn't have known at that age. And I began to hate my mother and I wanted my mom to leave, but she never did. She tried once, but she went back to him. 
My father died suddenly when I was in my late teens. He'd taken me out to dinner a few months before and apologized for everything. I never told him I forgave him, and I also never told him that I loved him. I've also felt bad about that. I realize I was just a child, and maybe there was nothing I could actually have done, but I always felt that all he needed was for someone to understand him. And if I had understood, maybe things would have been different for us. This is a very telling belief that she has, in case you didn't suspect that already. My mother was diagnosed with cancer a few years later, moved back home. She died a year later. Even though mom and I were best friends, she had a soft spot for my brother and did everything for him. When she died, I was expected to step into that role. I'd always wanted to move to a different part of the country, but I promised my mom I would take care of my brother since we only had each other now, and I didn't want to leave until he seemed okay. All right, here she is again third time taking care of family members. I stopped by his house every day on my way to and from work. By the way, he rarely visited me. I'm always the one making the effort. It went on like this for eight years. I had a good job. I had decent savings tucked away. And although I was not exactly happy, I was content with life. Okay. It was during that time that I met Mark through a mutual friend. And surprisingly, we got along really well. He was smart, creative, and funny. And things moved very quickly from that point on, even though there were a lot of red flags that I chose to ignore. For example, when we were intimate, he never made eye contact with me. I should also mention he's from a ridiculously wealthy and very dysfunctional family. His father was a horrible, mean person who actually got pleasure from physically abusing Mark's mother, as well as Mark and his brother from the time they were babies. Okay, so we have two very traumatized people who have come together now. Mark always talks fondly about his mother. However, she seemed, who's passed away. However, she seemed very hands-off. And once she divorced his father, she seemed to leave the two boys to fend for themselves and wasn't there. She wasn't there to protect or guide them. Within a couple of months of our first date, we decided that we were going to move away just like I always wanted. So not just moving in, but moving away after a couple of months. Sounds like two traumatized people to me. <laughs> My brother was dating someone's new, so I felt he would be okay so I could move without feeling bad. I had a lot of toxic friendships at the time, people who used me for what I did for them. I had one friend who used me for babysitting almost every Saturday night. After four weekends in a row, I tried to set boundaries and she completely cut me out and this was not an isolated incident. It seemed that as soon as I stopped providing services for my friends, I became invisible to them. A fresh start sounded good, so I ignored the signs of trouble with Mark. There it is, any, any, any port in a storm. I'm not blaming Mark for everything, by the way. I know that I'm just as responsible for a lot of this, and to be honest, I also used Mark in order to get away, okay. He was a shield of sorts so that when I told everyone we were moving together, they wouldn't give me such a hard time. I was going to say, like, I don't, for, about what? That you're, why would you get a hard time about moving from these people who just use you? I didn't get that, but okay. As soon as we moved, things changed. And although he kept telling me he loved me and had never felt like this before, which I don't think is the truth, he began to make excuses so he wouldn't have to be intimate with me at all. And I tried to work things out at first, but I eventually stopped even trying. And for the first time in my life, I felt ugly and unattractive. And eventually my confidence just plummeted and I gave up. We have a completely platonic relationship now and I haven't had, and we haven't had sex or kissed in over 10 years. At this point, I don't even want to be with him. 
What I later found out was that he only agreed to go out with me because he liked the mutual friend who introduced us and hoped to see her more. Why they had to get me involved in their weird little game, I don't know. He also tried to get back together with an ex at some point early on, but it didn't work out. So he proposed to me instead. By the time I found out about all this, we had been together for a couple of years and had settled down in my dream place. And I had started a very successful business. So again, I chose to ignore these things that I told myself had happened years ago. Yeah, so two traumatized people get together, not really committed, doing stuff. It sound, as far as, you never told me that you got married or anything, okay. After a few years, Mark decided he didn't like it where we were living and wanted to move back. And I was stupidly okay with leaving my dream place and a great business I had built from nothing, only because I felt so incredibly guilty that I had left my brother alone. He had broken up with his girlfriend soon after I left. Why? This brother who never calls you. Uh, okay, but you agreed to... So, yeah, you abandoned everything that you had to do whatever Mark wanted and worried about your brother. So I'm seeing the pattern here. You abandon yourself again and again and again. This is so sad. I didn't want to go back to my hometown, but we moved close enough to be able to visit. My brother got angry with me at this point because he had hoped that I would move back so I could be there to help him out with things. Oh, that's why he wanted you there, to do things for him, okay? He stopped speaking to me for a couple of years. What a pal. He felt I was being selfish, only thinking of myself. <laughs> yes, thinking of yourself, and that's a good thing for you to do once in a while, and obviously he thought, he said he accused her of not caring about him, which is not true. I'm willing to drive up and help him out if he needs something, but that's not enough. You're still doing this dance of trying to make people love you. Okay. I still call him every few weeks because if I don't, I'm afraid we will lose touch completely. I know that feeling. And you probably would. And it's actually okay if you do. He never calls me anymore. He rarely asks how I am, and when I talk, I can tell he's doing other things and not really listening. I'm not mad at him because I know he's incredibly unhappy. Over the years, he's become angry, judgmental, and cynical, but I know the person he used to be. Generous, kind, and the life of the party, and I can't give up on him. Am I a selfish, terrible sister for putting up what I want first and not moving back to a town that I don't want to live in? Maybe. I don't know anymore. Oh, dear. Oh, dear, Maya. You don't know anymore? It's like you're chained. You're chained to these people who don't care about you. Things started spiraling down for Mark and me, and we moved around several more times. I think we've moved something like 15 times in 12 years. Seems that every time we begin to settle down, he gets the itch to move. My savings were all gone, and I went into debt. We ended up in a place that we couldn't afford, and I had to sell my car and my furniture and everything I had to pay bills. And I told myself at the time that if we find ourselves in that situation again, <laughs> I'm out of there. We managed to pull ourselves out of that after moving again and started to get back to a relatively comfortable place financially. But a couple months ago, Mark suddenly said that he doesn't like his job and he's going to look for a new one. And he said not to worry, though, nothing would change. And he has a tendency and I was very upset and I asked him why he didn't let me know. I'm sort of abbreviating here because it's this, because Maya, you're very much in the mindset that any of this matters. You don't like this man. You disapprove of him. It's an endless drama. He can't settle down. He has his trauma. You have your trauma. Your trauma is quite serious. So you're, you tell me these other details. He makes fun of you by making little digs under his breath. 
you feel like you have a child to take care of in him and entertain. You find myself not, you find yourself not doing stuff when he's around. Your morning routine flies out the window. So he's just very destructive to your life and who you are. So nothing like abuse, it's just that you are with him all the time and you don't leave. And you are imprisoned, enslaved really, by this idea you have that other people's feelings matter, even if you have to invent feelings for them that they haven't told you, and that your feelings don't matter. You don't like this guy. You've been with him for a long time. She's a, she says she's in her early 50s now. A lot of years have passed and you're with this guy. And you say, oh, I shouldn't complain. People have it worse. But you know you're never going to be happy. And you really don't want to be with him. And so I know I need to get back out there, you say. But I've become afraid. I'm in my mid-50s and I feel like I don't really connect with people anymore. I think maybe, there it is, you don't connect with people anymore. I think maybe I'm becoming weird and I can't see it. But I'm not myself anymore. I have no friends left. You were the first person I've spoken to about this. I'm honored, Maya. You also, there's like thousands in the room with us hearing this too. So good for you for sharing this. We hear you. My brother is barely speaking to me. <sighs> Your brother. The man I'm with doesn't really love me, and I'm just not happy. I don't know what's happened to me, but I feel so alone. And sometimes I think that if I died tomorrow, there's no one in the world that would even care other than my dog. Obviously, this is all my doing because I'm the common denominator here, but I just can't handle carrying all this regret and guilt around with me anymore, and I don't know what to do about it. Rationally, I understand that I can't make others happy, but is there a way I can stop feeling guilty and responsible for everyone while also taking care of myself? Maya. All right. Thank you for this letter, Maya. S really so profound. Every once in a while, you know, I stayed with your letter. I stayed. It's a, it's a long letter and everybody else try to send them shorter to me, but I needed to kind of read this background from you of what had happened with your family with this strange, sudden move from another country. It sounds like you're um, it sounds like your parents were in something illegal or shady and there was a big lie that they were living with. And this is the thing about parents who um, lie. When there's a big lie in the air, there's a big, vague blind spot in the children. I've seen it again and again and again. So you were basically raised to just like not see this big giant thing, this lie, this thing that drove your dad into ruin. And then now you can't see that everybody is okay. Now, I think that trauma kind of pushes everybody. It pushes everybody into a certain, a latent pattern. You know, everybody has a personality. Your pattern is to like keep an eye on your mom and make sure that she's okay. All right. That's a pattern. That's a pattern and feeling like you can't leave her alone. And then her saying, look out for your brother. What a curse. And there, a part I cut out of your letter, it was very long, was that she gave him the house. <laughs> he got the house. You just worried about him all the time and he never did anything for you or cared about you. But it's weird. All your energy just goes into worrying about other people. Given your childhood, I just think you know, neurologically, you got put into this pattern and there's a blind spot there and nothing's going to take you out of it unless you take concrete measures to get real about the, your situation. The reality of your situation needs to become clear to you. You are abandoning your own needs. You are so sad in your life and you're so alone here. You're with somebody you don't love. You're, you're worrying about the feelings of a brother who treats you like crap. I suggest to you, <laughs> you asked for advice, you and your dog could be quite happy together. It might not be forever that you're alone, 
But for the first time in your life, you can be alone and you can start to cultivate what your interests are, what gives you joy and have friendships with people. I really, you know, I circled so many things in your letter. I can hardly even come back to it. But here's what I want to underscore for you. You're not, you're all alone. You're not connected with anybody anymore. You've never even told anybody what's going on with you. And there it is. The way that you donate your life's energy into these false needs of other people, they don't even have those needs. It's not fixing them. So they, it's actually not a need. It's just a, it's an illusion. You're taking your life energy and your future and everything that gives you joy and you're donating it. But secretly, those people are just throwing it in the trash. Okay, that's what's going on. And it's very sad. And I invite you to stop right now and save all that energy for yourself. You are the one who is abandoned. You're so worried that they're not okay without you. You are not okay without you. They're fine. You are not okay without you. Well, Mark, I don't know. He sounds like a traumatized person. And I suspect he will be sad when you break up with him. But it's okay because this relationship is keeping him in a dead inertia just as much as it's doing it to you. There's no love here. That's what you say. And if it's true for you, it's true for the relationship. So it's going to take courage to be by yourself. It's almost like an addiction. The need to try to be taking care of somebody else and to have guilt for them protects us, right, from having to face how empty we feel inside. That's the emptiness that needs to be faced. So if you were ever thinking about doing therapy, this is the time to help you with the transition. Whether or not you do that, a 12-step program for uh, adult children of alcoholics. This program is for people who grew up in dysfunctional families, and you did, and the violence that you grew up with, you could be in a room with a whole bunch of people who are just like you, who have been through it too, and are further along in the healing process and can show you how they did it. I, I really encourage you to go do that. You'd also be most welcome in our membership program where we have a whole community of people who befriend each other, support each other through the healing of trauma, and people are working through the courses and the techniques and the webinars that are offered here in Crappy Childhood Fairy. You have so many choices that you could do, but you're going to need tools to heal from trauma, and you're going to need a community of people who care about you and understand you, who get it, who are walking the path of healing themselves and who can encourage you along the way. And maybe you can be a little help to them too, which will be nice for a person like you who's fundamentally oriented towards trying to serve others. That's probably a very good thing about you, but it's been disordered. It's been distorted into this thing that you do to avoid your own life. Healing is possible. People, tools, joy, solitude. That's my suggestion for you. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content, think about joining my membership program. You can find out more information about that and all my courses and coaching programs at crappychildhoodfairy.com. Remember, healing is possible. People with childhood PTSD can have a wonderful life. Sometimes we just need a few workarounds. I'll see you next time.